It's time for us to begin this afternoon. Everybody that will be assisting in worship this afternoon is a substitute, so bear with us. You ready? Begin this evening with uh, this afternoon with number 595. At the appropriate time, Brian Ward has our prayer. And Gary's going to dismiss us. And Dave has the announcements. Dave's my substitute. Dave's always our announcement guy. Everybody else is a substitute. If you would please stand for the song. <clears throat> song I'm singing today. I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed. Trouble and sorrow have vanished away. I've been redeemed, I'm redeemed by love
Bow with me, please. Father in heaven, we're thankful for this day. Father, we're thankful for this opportunity we have to gather here this afternoon, Father, to hear another portion of your word. Father, we're thankful for this opportunity we had also to fellowship together today. We pray that it uh, was encouraging to all of us. Father, we thank you for everything you do for us. We're thankful for the word. We're thankful for you sending your son Jesus to die on the cross to save us from our sins. Be with us the rest of this service. Help us to make it pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. For our lesson this afternoon, number 627. If you're using a book and want to mark 346, that'll be the song's invitation. Forty-six. Now sing six twenty-seven. Would you stand once again, please, if you're willing and able? We've got a good rest of the day after this service. We'll be going to Wingate uh, at 2 o'clock to sing to the residents there. And then uh, this evening at 6 o'clock, our youth will be leading uh, the services at the Greasy Ridge Congregation. So uh, we'd love to see some familiar faces there. Uh, if you're able to come up that way, uh, we would uh, enjoy your presence there as you support them. Um, so tonight we're in Ephesians, or not Ephesians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're talking through a series uh, I'm calling Go. Um, so we're looking at um, various passages uh, throughout 
scripture uh, that are evangelistic in nature. Uh, I think last time we looked at uh, Luke chapter 15, the story, the three different stories Jesus tells about going and seeking and saving the lost um, and learning some principles there tonight. Uh, this afternoon we're, we're in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, another great evangelism passage um, for us to consider. Okay. It's on the desktop. Right in the middle. It's purple. <laughs> First Thessalonians 2. If you grab your Bibles and be flipping over there, we'll, we'll work our way through the text here. <clears throat> First Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Let's stop right there. There's, there's several things, even in the first couple verses here, that we need to uh, pick up on. Good job. Thank you. Um, so we're looking at, uh, really, this, this first verse is something we need to, we need to draw attention to. Uh, when Paul set foot in Thessalonica, it's not his first time in Macedon, uh, in Macedonia. And so he has already come from Philippi. But do you remember what happened pre Philippi. What? How did? How does he get into Philippi? He didn't want to go into Macedonia. The Holy Spirit uh, in the gives him a vision. He sees a Macedonian soldier pleading with him to come over to Macedonia and teach them the gospel. And so, a door has been opened for Paul in Macedonia. He does not want to go to Macedonia. He has plans to go elsewhere. Uh, but because of this door for effective ministry has been opened to him. Uh, Paul leaps at this opportunity to come into Macedonia and to teach the truth. And uh, the, the, uh, the harvest is very great there, of course. Uh, we'll get to, to Philippi in a second. He mentions that. and He's going to remember the events in Philippi for the rest of his life. And so the things that happened to him there are, are worthy of consideration. But I want you to stop for just a second and look in that first verse uh, and let's draw a concept out of uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, when Paul says that our coming to you was not in vain. God has a way of working that out, doesn't he? Uh, even in the Old Testament, in Isaiah uh, chapter 55, he says, he says these words. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11. Back up to verse 10, Isaiah 55, 10, he says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. His, his word has a way of doing that, doesn't it? As long as we're on mission with him, he has a way of working everything out. Um, often in the past, uh, I've thought about it like this. Uh, I do my best, and he takes up the rest. Uh, often, I am uh, guilty. We are guilty of not doing our best. Um, we get lazy, <laughs> and we get uh, comfortable, and uh, we, we uh, rest on uh, our laurels from former days, or from former works, and I, I don't think we can do that. Uh, he, he intends for us to be constantly doing life, living mission with him with excellence. Um, no, nothing short of that is, is okay. Um, 
but if I do my best, he'll take up the rest. His, his word has a way of not coming back to him void. And Paul puts it in those terms when he's looking at the Thessalonian congregation, when he's remembering his time in Thessalonica. He says, oh, there, was, there was power, there was strength when we came to Thessalonica. And it didn't have anything to do with Paul. Uh, it didn't have anything to do with the way that he was wording things. And later on in this chapter, he's going to say, I, I didn't come to you with, with flowery words. I didn't come to you with big logic. And none of those reasons are, are why you came to Christ. There was power, and you saw the power there. Uh, there was truth, and you saw the truth. And God has a way of, of working it out. And so we do our best. We live on mission with him. We look for ways to be excellent uh, in life and in church, and on mission. We look for ways to do the best possible life that we can. No, no half-hearted efforts, no lackadaisical efforts. We, we, we put ourselves through the ringer in an effort to bring one more to him. But ultimately, at the end of the day, this has nothing to do with us. We're, we're vessels that, that send out the gospel, and the power is in him. Um, and so he has assured us that if I do my best, he'll do the rest. And so I find comfort here in, in 1 Thessalonians 2, especially coming off our mission trip in Peru. Um, you meet so many people in such a short period of time, and you wonder what's going to happen to them for the rest of their lives. And looking back, I always do this when, when we're on trips. I look back across all the trips that I've taken, and you wonder, what happened to all those people? Are, are they still faithful? Did they ever come to faith? There, there were uh, several guys when we were doing our seminar that were questioning. Um, one of us would get to teach for 30, 45 minutes. Uh, one of our group would, and then we'd have a period of, of questions, and it could last anywhere from five minutes to uh, one night we took two hours worth of questions on the last night, and it was awesome. That was, one of my, that was my favorite part of it, just getting, getting to interact with the people. But there were several times when um, I wasn't sure if the person was challenging me or if they were actually seeking Christ. Um, and I don't know that I don't know that there was much of a difference. You know, uh, they were still asking questions, um, and whenever truth is taught, he has a way of working it out. Um, and so uh, I, I'm always curious. Uh, I wish I could, in some senses, fast forward 50 or 70 years and, and see how it all turned out for those people. But I'm, I'm confident that if I do my best, he'll take up the rest. He'll he'll do the rest. He takes up for our slack. As long as I'm, I'm doing my best. I, I, it doesn't work uh, if I'm lazy. It, it doesn't work if, if I'm not doing my best. Um, but if I'm, if I'm killing myself trying to work in his kingdom, he has a way of giving the harvest. Right? Um, that's one of the things that he's promised is that uh, he'll do that. And so his word doesn't come back void and this, this trip of Paul's into Macedonia was certainly not in vain. The, the harvest there uh, was quite incredible. But look in verse 2, something else we need to, to think through here. Paul's going to point back to Philippi. The fir very first city he comes to when he enters the Macedonian region is Philippi. Uh, it's a major city. Uh, it is the main city in Macedonia. Um, and, and he has quite a bit of... Um, conflict there and you find that talked about in Acts chapter 16 so let's, let's just slip over there real quick and remind ourselves what actually happens uh, in, 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 this, uh, in Philippi in Acts chapter 16 we'll, we'll get to that in a couple of weeks but uh, 
For right now, let's let's remind ourselves just really quickly what happens to Paul in in uh, in Philippi, Acts chapter sixteen, verses twenty-two through twenty-four. So Paul comes into Philippi. He's looking for, as he does, uh, a place where religious people meet. Uh, usually, it's the synagogue, because Paul knows that if he can just get the Jewish people to understand that Jesus is the one that they've been waiting for, because they've been waiting on somebody. They've been waiting on the Messiah. If he can get them to connect the dots, to see that Jesus, the carpenter from Nazareth, is that Messiah, then all the other pieces fall into place. And it's so much easier for the Jewish people to come to faith. You have so much less work to do uh, to bring a Jewish person to faith than you do a a pagan Gentile. Uh, So it's easier. So he starts in the synagogue. That's where he finds religious people. Philippi doesn't have a synagogue. There's not enough Jewish people in Philippi to have a synagogue. And so he starts looking for a place where religious people meet. Apparently he hears tell about uh, this river where some women go down to pray. And so he goes over there. He meets Lydia. He converts her uh, and her family. And she begs them to allow uh, her to house the church. Um, The church meets in her house to worship. Eventually, Paul's going to meet, um, as they walk around and do life and evangelism in Philippi, he's going to meet a demon-possessed little girl. And she's, um, they're making money off of her fortune-telling. Uh, she, can tell, she can see the future, apparently. And so uh, some of her people in charge of her are making money off of her. And, uh, Paul casts out the demon, and that lands him in hot water with uh, the authorities there because they make these guys, the masters, make a big stink about uh, Paul doing this thing. Uh, anyhow, Paul ends up lands up in prison. That's where he meets the Philippian jailer. And so some, some truly awful things have happened to Paul uh, in, in Philippi during this stay uh, in prison. He's going to be beaten. Uh, they, uh, the, the Jewish people um, would beat you with a rod, but they could only beat you 39 times, 39 lashes. They, they couldn't go to 40. It was against the law. They could beat you 39 times, but not 40. The Romans didn't have any restraint. Um, and so they could have beat him as many times as possible. Most of the time when this, um, uh, when this uh, persecution was happening, when this, uh, um, when this uh, torture was, uh, was done to people, they would strip them down they weren't wearing any clothes and they would beat them from head to toe literally head to toe until they were black and blue the thing that they were using was not one uh, piece of wood but many thumb sized thumb shaped pieces of wood uh, all gathered into a bundle and they would hit you with it um, and so you should picture Paul as black and blue his 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 back Barnabas's back is his uh, Silas's back is open um, because of this attack uh, that, that the Romans have uh, made him endure. But then in, uh, in verse 20, just let's start reading verse 22, Acts chapter 16, verse 22. The crowd joined in and attacking them. And so they've already got bruises before this ever happens. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. That's what we were talking about just a second ago. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. We don't know much about this guy. We don't know his name even, this Philippian jailer. Um, Just from what's told to us, I tend to believe this guy was not very nice. And so his transformation into Christ 
pretty um, incredible. Most of the time, uh, Romans, when they retired from the army, they would be transported to various cities like Philippi, given positions like this. So you should probably see an older man, um, not an older, he's 30s, 40s, 50s, somewhere around in there, um, battle-hardened soldier. This guy has very little sympathy. Um, and when he is told to beat Paul and Silas, he asks no questions. You can't beat a Roman citizen. Paul and Silas are both Roman citizens, and they would have paid dearly for this had they known that they were Roman citizens. Um, but no questions were asked, and Paul didn't say anything until the next morning because it's to his advantage to, for that to happen. But when these blows, uh, when this beating takes place, at least after that, the jailer puts them inside the inner prison. So picture a dark, dank, rat-infested dungeon-type place. But that's not good enough for him. He puts their feet in stocks. So what would have happened was they would have spread their legs as far as they could have gone and then fastened their legs into wooden stocks to keep them separated. This would have sent... Um, their, their legs would have gone numb and, and they would have had uh, shivers running down their legs and, and tremors. And, um, it, would have been, it would have been quite the ordeal just being in stocks. But then you can't even lay back because your back's so busted up from the beating you've gotten earlier. So when Paul says in, in Thessalonians 2, 2 um, that uh, he, he remembered... Uh, how shamefully they had been treated in Philippi. Now you begin to see how shamefully they were treated at Philippi. And even years later, Paul will, will remember this. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, uh, he, he calls back to this exact incident. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 25, he says this. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, and a night and a day I was adrift at sea. One of those times he was beaten with rods is here at Philippi. Um, and, and even years later, toward the end of his life, he's, he's going to still remember how he was treated uh, at Philippi. And so you would think that coming off of that, the very next place he visits, maybe Paul would be more restrictive with his words. Maybe he'd be more careful with his words. He's just been beaten within an inch of his life. Um, and by the grace of God, uh, the jailer has come to faith. Uh, just, just to be in that jail cell that day when the guy, the jailer comes in and he had planned on killing himself, but now all the people are still there and he falls to his knees and asks them what to do to be saved. I don't know if Paul has been, become accustomed to this kind of thing happening, but if he hasn't already by this point, his jaw had to fall on the floor, you know? That this guy who was beating them hours earlier is now pleading with them what he has to do to be saved. Uh, God works in fantastic, awesome, incredible ways, and his word never comes back void. But you would think that after having received treatment like this in Philippi, the very next city Paul visits, maybe he would be a little less vocal. He's not. He goes to Thessalonica next, and he is just as bold as possible. Listen to what else he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. He says, We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. 
So this, this boldness, you probably want to underline that or call attention to that in your text. Um, he's saying he's got complete freedom of speech. He, he says whatever he wants to say. Uh, he doesn't pull any punches. He's not, he's not afraid. Um, the beating that he's received in Philippi has not shut his mouth. If anything, it's made, it, it's, it's made him more vocal. He's perfectly at home right here. And if they beat him again, guess what's going to happen? Next city over, he's just as vocal. It doesn't change. And so that's one of the things we can learn about evangelism from 1 Thessalonians 2. When people push back against you, the almost human reaction is to pull back. Paul didn't do that, and God blessed him. Um, he was constantly bold. When we were in Peru, I want to tell you, you've got so many stories uh, hopefully we'll get to walk through some of those stories as time progresses. But uh, when we were in Peru, uh, we were handing out invitations on the, on the side of the street one day for our seminar. Uh, and people, we would hand the invitation to somebody and say, invitation, you know, it's free. We'll give away free Bibles and free coffee and it's free Bible teaching and all that kind of stuff. And people wouldn't even look at you. They wouldn't answer. They wouldn't say where they would just walk past you. And after 10 or 20 or 30 of those, you're kind of like, man, this is hard. And you start feeling less vocal. Can you imagine Paul, after having been beaten with rods, thinking, I don't know, I, I think I'm going to be a little bit more careful with how I, how I phrase my words. Nope. Paul says, I've got more boldness now. I, I'm, I'm more focused now. I'm less scared now than I was even then. And he wasn't scared at all in Philippi. There's more boldness. And he says, don't, don't draw back. Don't draw away. Pour yourself more and more into it. Be more bold. Don't hold anything back. Next little tidbit here I think we need to, to learn uh, comes up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11. But let's, let's kind of walk through the text a bit here, starting in verse 3. And we'll get to verse 11 in just a sec. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive... But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. If Paul is trying to please man, he is doing a very bad job at it. <laughs> if he is trying uh, to, to win friends on his own, Paul is the worst at winning friends that you've ever seen. And he says, I'm not, I'm not doing this um, so that people like me. I'm doing this so that I can win more people to him because I'm not, I'm not out to please people. I'm out to please God. And there is a marked difference, isn't there? There's a difference in how we live our lives and what we prioritize and how we think and how we talk and how we interact with people if we're focused on pleasing him and not them. There's a difference there, isn't there? Um, and that's another thing that we can and should learn about evangelism from, from, first, from first Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 5, he says, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor were the pretext for greed. God's our witness. Paul's going to be condemned on multiple occasions um, because people seem to think that he's doing this for his own benefit. Uh, and to the Thessalonians, he says, You guys know above all others that I, I didn't gain anything from this. In fact, I worked my fingers to the bone. I was working uh, at night so that I could preach to you during the day so that I could support myself so I didn't have to get money from you. <coughs> I 
to be able to preach to you. He says, this isn't from greed. I didn't do this. Um, <coughs> sorry. I didn't do this um, because it worked out well for me. I did this on uh, account of you for your benefit. Verse 6. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. He said, we, have ever, we had every right to do that. We had every right to say that you should pay us for, uh, for this thing. Workers is worth his wages, he would say later. Um, and so he said, we have, we have this right as apostles, but we didn't demand it. Verse 7, he says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, <coughs> we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also of our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are our witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. One translation says, uh, translates this last verse as, uh, show, show, show them, he, he was showing them his heart. Um, he was showing them what, what he was passionate about. He let them in. Um, he allowed them to see him, his dreams, his passion, who he was, what drove him. Uh, that's something that people need to see in us. As we evangelize to people, um, we need to allow them to see what drives us. It's not just words. It's not just... Um, excitement it's not just an I know the Bible better than you do it's it's a longing for people to come to know him because in him there's power in him there's salvation in him there's transformation and without him none of those things are true there's only condemnation but inside of him there's no condemnation people need to know that they need to see our hearts that our hearts long for that we need to long for that right Sometimes I think we get lost in uh, other things and, and that, that principle, that priority doesn't seem to come through as clearly as it should. Uh, but that needs to be our heart that we bring lost people to him. And then he does all the rest. I do my best, he does the rest. People need to see our hearts as we try to evangelize to them. They need to see what motivates us, and why we're so concerned for their souls. Uh, if we can convey that, they'll listen. If we can't convey that, they probably won't. Verse 13, he says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as, it, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. He says, this was us talking, but it's not my word. It's not my power. It doesn't have anything to do with me. He would say in Corinthians, he's just a, a clay vessel. He holds, and we all hold, the truth of the gospel in us, and we share it with other people, but the power's not in us. We're just mouthpieces. They get it from A to B. They get this gospel to people that need to hear it. Paul says, this isn't my words. These are 
These are God's words, and he has the power to transform and to change people, to convict them. Over in John chapter 16, John, John talks about this a little bit. In John 16, verse 8. Jesus is talking about going away and the disciples are scared. They don't want him to go away. He's been talking about that for a while now in John 16. <coughs> and he's trying to convince them that it's a good thing that he goes away. Uh, let's start back in verse 7. Nevertheless, I'll tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, the helper, the, the, um, the Holy Spirit... When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Right? That's the power the word has. The power's not in you. It's not in the way I phrase things. It's not in the way you phrase things. It's not, it's not a matter of logic. The power's in the word. When we use the word, the Holy Spirit has the power to convict people of their sins. He has the power to bring them to himself. And as you watch it happen, you'll sit back and think, this is incredible that it just clicked with somebody. It's certainly not anything I've said because I've said the exact same thing to other people. I've heard other people say the exact same thing to other people, and it didn't click with them, but it clicked for this person because God's done something, and he made it. It clicked with them. He made it click with them. And sometimes people's hearts are prepared for the gospel. And other times he's still working on them. But the Spirit has the power, the potential to convict, convict people of sin. So these Thessalonians, they didn't hear when they heard the word. They didn't receive it like it was just Paul saying it. They received it as if it was the word of God, which it really is. And it has power to convict, power to change them. Verse 14, he says, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. He says, you guys are just like the, the Jewish Christians, the ones that meet in Jerusalem, the ones that they were probably looking up to, the ones that they had heard about as the church started here in Jerusalem. He says, you guys are a lot like them. You may not have thought about it because you guys are Gentiles and they're Jewish, but you guys are an awful lot like them. Here's how. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. Yeah, you guys are a lot like them because your countrymen punished you for becoming Christians just like the Jewish people's countrymen, just like other Jews punished them. You guys are a lot like them. Who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So, as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. He says they're, they're going to get theirs. Judgment's coming for them. You don't have to worry about them. They've caused you all kinds of trouble. They've, they've hurt you. You don't have to worry about them. God's going to take care of them. You worry about doing your best. You worry about being focused on the kingdom. You don't worry about any of this other stuff. All this is peripheral. All this is Satan trying to distract you. You don't worry about any of those things. You stay laser focused. You do your best. You live with excellence. You do kingdom work as best as you possibly can, and he will do all the rest. Verse 17 says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, not at all in heart, right? And Paul says, My heart's still there with you. 
I would still be there with you if it were up to me. We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. He says, I want to be there with you. Um, but it's not going to happen. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, our crown, our joy of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. He says, this is how the gospel did not come to you in vain. You have believed, you have been transformed, and now you are bringing others to him. And when Paul looks back on this congregation, when he hears word about their good works and how they're living life on mission with excellence, he's proud of them. He's reminded that this word will not return void. He always has a way of bringing people to himself. And so that's, that's my word of encouragement today. You do your best, and he'll do every bit of the rest. You live with excellence. You look for opportunities to teach the truth. You do what you can, and he'll do every bit of the rest. This evening, if you haven't been baptized into Christ, that's the very first step uh, into salvation. You need to work through uh, Scripture, to study through Scripture, to, to see that, to, to, to understand the, the plan of salvation. So if you've never walked through that, I would love to sit down with you and study with you about that. Maybe you've been thinking about that and you're, you're, you're ready. Uh, we would love to baptize you into Christ tonight for the forgiveness of your sins, to have those washed away like you were, like they had never happened. This evening, maybe you've already made that decision and you're struggling. We want to pray with you and for you that you can be everything that God would have you to be. If you have any need, why don't you come as we stand and sing. It won't be very long to live your life to end. It won't be very long to reach out his hand. And then the dead cries for resignation to rise. To meet the Lord and King up yonder in the skies. It won't be very long. It won't be very long. The Jesus shall Good afternoon, Kirk family. A couple of announcements before we are dismissed. As a reminder, Wingate at 2 o'clock. Also, if you have a child going to Fort Hill, there's a sign-up sheet on the four-year board. Please sign them up um, for the rebate. Um, also, I have some great news. Mike and Jenny Webb and 
and the family have um, decided to become members at Rome. So congratulations. I would ask you to stand up, but you already, yeah. <laughs> uh, glad to have y'all place membership with us here at Rome and be part of this family. Uh, Member continue to keep Jimmy Wilgus, Sean Maynard, Jim Haney, Amber Spitzer, Sally, and Clinton, and David in your prayers at this time. Uh, remember to keep them in your prayers this week. Uh, that's all the announcements I have. Um, we'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. If you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in the conference room. You may leave and do that now. Who had it this morning? Close this afternoon with number 
pray with me. Father, we come to you again just thankful for this day that we've had and, and the opportunities that we've had to worship you today to surround your table, Father, and, and remember your sacrifice and, and then the fellowship that we had with one another. We're so thankful for that. And, and Father, we, uh, for this afternoon, just our service today, we, uh, we are truly blessed. We pray, Father, you'll be with us this week and uh, that you'll help us always to set examples in the way that we live our lives. And, and Father, we pray for those, uh, again, that's uh, sick in this congregation. We pray for those who are battling uh, any kind of uh, illness, whatever it may be. And, and Father, for our shut-ins, we, we pray for our shut-ins that, that you'll bless them, Father. And, and help us to think about them and give them a call and check in on them and, and just do what's good. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. 